And here we go, everybody. Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Tuesday, August 9th, 2022. Kicking off the show, The Stand by the Alarm. Thought that was appropriate because we've got a big show to get to. Of course, we're going to kick it off with the Mets coming off of an important five-game series against the Braves. And boy, if they didn't make a stand. They sure showed up, took four or five, would have been thrilled with three out of five. Uh, we'll get to that. We'll break down each of those games, the performances, and talk about the Mets as a whole and uh, take a look ahead for the rest of the season as we now hit the dog days of August. Uh, we'll go around the league. Yankees have hit a bit of a speed bump here coming out of the All-Star break, although they got back on track last night with a win over the Mariners out in Seattle. Um, and then we'll do a little Lions, a little football. Hard Knocks. The Lions will be the team covered by Hard Knocks this year, and that kicks off tonight, 9 o'clock, HBO. And we'll do a little Lions preview, too, a very early Lions preview. Preseason games start on Friday. Um... But uh, I'll give you a little bit of a, a preview there for uh, the Lions fans, listeners out there. But we begin with the Mets. And uh, as I said, sort of spoiled, uh, spoiled it. But, I mean, it's been a great season. We chronicled it uh, the last show we did a couple of weeks ago. Buck Walter has made a tremendous difference. Um, you know, the, the Mets haven't had a, a professionalism uh, an error, this air of professionalism that they have uh, probably since Willie Randolph, his first season, right? He got here, he instituted a bit of the Yankees' old rules, even some of the facial hair stuff, tried to hold guys accountable. The Mets were a joke before Willie Randolph got here. You know, they, they had some good seasons, obviously, under Valentine, made the World Series in 2000, made the playoffs in 99, were competitive. Then it all sort of, the wheels all all, all sort of fell off as they often do with this franchise and then we had the lovely Art Howe era which was embarrassing and so Willie came in and, and you know again instilled an era of professionalism that, that was sorely needed even when Valentine was here yes he was a very good in-game manager but there was always some sort of you know nonsense that, that went on I mean you know the whole glasses with the fake nose and mustache thing after he got thrown out of a game. And it was, it's funny, but it's, you know, you put it this way, you wouldn't see Buck doing that. <laughs> and Buck is not a humorless guy, as, you've, as we've all seen in these post-game press conferences, which are must-watch TV. Most of these managers' post-game press conferences, I mean, listen, obviously it speaks to the guys. I mean, you know, Louis Rojas seems like a nice guy. He wasn't giving you a lot in these post-game press conferences. Mickey Calloway, I mean, beyond overmatched. Um... And, you know, Terry Collins was okay in them. He was, he was fine, I guess. And Jerry Manuel I found to be uh, tough to take. But in any event, I mean, Buck has come in and, 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 and basically, I mean, the fact that this guy went three years or whatever it was without having a job is, is, a, is a joke when you see some of the other guys that, that have gotten jobs. <laughs> Look no further than Mickey Callaway and Louis Rojas with the Mets. Um, but... You know, look, that's, that's baseball in general. And I don't want to get off on a whole long rant, right? My, my, dis, my disdain for analytics is well-documented. Um, again, I'm, I'm not against using information to one's advantage, but the over-reliance on it and this idea that we're now going to take tried-and-true methods and things and, and axioms and staples of the game that proved to be successful for over a hundred years, like making contact, hitting and running, stealing bases, bunting, moving runners, sack flies, good defense, and we're all going to just junk it in terms in favor of three true outcomes, walks, home runs, and strikeouts. And somehow that is what winning baseball has devolved into and, and openers and pitchers only going five innings starting pitchers. I, I mean, the, the game has become an unwatchable slog. And the Mets are a brilliant example of how one uses both analytics 
and tried and true methods to produce a winning result. Perfect example. Marcania, the left fielder, who's a righty hitter, so the Mets traded for Tyler Naquin from the Reds right before the trading deadline. Nice player, you know, had, had a pretty good year last year for the Reds, 19 homers, 70 RBIs, high sevens OPS. He's a nice player. He's a good platoon player, right? Kind of guy that starts on a, a, a not very good team and, and is a, a useful platoonish type player for a good team. Well, the Braves threw a righty on Sunday. You would think Naquin was going to play, but Buck instead put Kanya in there, and Kanya got a big hit, two-run double, to give the Mets a four-run lead. And when asked after the game why he put Kanya in there, he said, well, you know, the analytics guys showed us that, you know, Kanya's swing is conducive to hitting the types of pitches that Spencer Strider, the Braves pitcher, threw. And sure enough, Kanya turned a high fastball around and bashed it up the, up the gap in left center to score two runs. So there's Buck, you know, using the information to his advantage. But if you look at the Mets' approach overall as a team, they put the ball in play more than any team in the league. They, they've struck out the second fewest times of any team. They're not a huge power team. Alonzo's going to probably hit close to 40 home runs. Lindor probably get you 25, maybe a few more. Those, that, that's it. I mean, Vogelback's got 14 home runs combined between the, the Pirates and, and now his stint on the Mets. He's been a great pickup. And we'll get to the pickups, uh, the acquisitions, in, in a second. Um, you know, Starlin Marte, he's got 14 home runs. Escobar, I think, has 12. I mean, the Mets are going to have a bunch of guys, you know, in the teens probably. But they're not a big bashing, big bopper team. But they, they put the ball in play. They get a lot of infield hits because, A, they run hard out of the box. And, B... With the way these shifts are now, right? You're a lefty batter. You, you hit a squibber up the third baseline. It's basically like dropping down a bunt. There's nobody there because every team likes to shift. So you put the ball in play. Shocking. Good things can happen. Even soft contact, which I know is, is anathema now amongst the analytics nerds. Guess what? Soft contact, better than no contact because nothing can happen when you strike out. Nothing. But you put the ball in play, the other team can make an error. You can get a lucky bounce, which the Mets got tons of on Sunday, by the way. A ton. Alonzo's double hit the third base bag. Nimmo got an infield hit. Lindor got a little jam job bloop hit opposite field down a left field line. I mean, look, the Mets got definitely got lucky. Spencer Strider sounds like a little clown, the pitcher for the Braves after, you know, with sour grapes. He's not wrong, but, you know, you should just keep that to yourself. Yes, the Mets got a bunch of lucky hits. Don't care. See, the Mets hit rocket shots right at guys for years, especially against the Braves, or never get a good bounce against the Braves. Seen the Braves get every bounce against the Mets, so don't care. But overall, the Mets' approach has been fantastic. They wear pitchers down. The Mets got almost every Braves starting pitcher out of the game before the fifth inning. Even the game the Mets got were getting blown out 8-0. They grinded... Wouldn't go away. Made the Braves use all of their high leverage relief pitchers in that game. So the Mets were down eight nothing. They they battled back and got it to eight five. Ended up losing nine six. Even that game, you 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 came away from it. All right, Taiwan Walker just didn't have it. He had the weird incident where he caught his cleat, and maybe that affected the way he pitched going forward. He said it didn't. Buck said it didn't. Um. All right, he had a bad night. It's going to happen. He's been great all year. Uh, the, only, the only, you know, danger there, the only concerning thing there is that he had a great first half last year and was awful in the second half. His first start out of the break this year was okay. wasn't great. Three innings, six innings, three runs against the Yankees, which is not bad against that lineup. Um, and he hung in there. And then he had a clunker against the Braves. It happens. Not the end of the world. But even after that game was over, you, you came away from that game as a fan saying, you know what? I love the fight. All right. He, the starter didn't have it. Mets didn't roll up and die and go away. They made the Braves earn that win and have to use their, their valuable bullpen pieces in that game. And in a long series, a, five, a very rare five-game series because there was a doubleheader mixed in there, that's important. 
So, I mean, this Mets team is an absolute pleasure to watch. They play defense. They do the fundamentals. Jeff McNeil last night let a soft line drive drop in front of him and turn to double play. They're heads up. They're smart. They do all the fundamentals. They run the bases well. They run hard. They play good defense. And by the way, Billy Epler, the GM, has to get some credit for this. He's the one who's assembled this team. He got Mark Kanya, who's a pro's pro. Is he a superstar? Nope. Is he a solid winning player? Yes. Even Escobar has not had a good year. He's had some good moments, at least. Hit a big home run against the Yankees. And is, you know, universally loved in the clubhouse as being an inspirational and emotional leader. Right? Picking up Chris Bassett was genius. I mean, this guy, listen, he doesn't have the stuff of DeGrom or the stuff of Scherzer. But he's got the same mentality those guys have. He is a bulldog on the mound. And last night's a perfect example, right? He cruised for the first through, for, through the first three innings. Got a couple, you know, the, talk about infield hits. The Reds got, I think, seven, four of their seven hits at one point were infield hits, plus a catcher's interference on James McCann, plus a hit batsman. So a bunch of runners on base, not none, you know, because he was getting hit hard. Got two double plays to get out of it. Got out of a bases loaded jam that really wasn't of his own making. Oh, there was an error by Alonzo. Dropped a throw. You know, a rare occurrence for Pete. Pete's played a very good first base this year for the most part. Um, and yet, on a night when, you know, again, the bullpen was a little short because Buck had used a lot of guys in a five-game series, and Edwin Diaz likely was not available, having pitched you know, on Saturday and again on Sunday and, and three times in four days and then pitched that two-winning stint the, uh, on, on Thursday night to get that first game against the Braves. And you see Bassett come off the mound in the seventh thing after he got, uh, what is it, Aristides Aquino to, to basically pop up to second base with the bases loaded. The second he was walking off the mound, you saw, you could see his lips Saying to Buck, I'm good. I'm good. As in, I'm good for an eighth inning. I'll give it to you. And he did. Gave up a hit, but struck out the last guy to face him. I mean, he's tremendous. He's 9-7 and seven with a 330 RA. Really, he had about four clunkers this year. Other than that, he's been great. He's been great. I mean, assuming, you know, not assuming, hoping DeGrom can stay healthy. DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett as your first three in a playoff series? I, I have a tough time, another team, Dodgers included, coming at you with a better first three than that. And I know, you know, look, and, 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 and Carrasco has pitched well in big moments. He's got a ton of wins this year. He's got 12 wins already. He's been pretty good this year. He's had a few clunkers himself. He's pitched on the right days, to be fair, too. Mets score a lot of runs, typically, when Carrasco pitches. But, I mean, if Carrasco's your fourth starter or becomes a long man coming out of the bullpen, the same with Taiwan Walker. I mean, Taiwan Walker is still, you know, his ERA went over three, I think, after that, that hard game against the Braves, but been under three all year prior to that. That's pretty impressive. But the series against the Braves was huge for a lot of reasons, right? One is the Braves. The Braves have long been a thorn in the Mets' side. They, they have long been the, the, the older brother that the Mets are trying to get around, right? Even in 2015, when the Mets won the division, they came from behind over the Nationals to get there. The Braves were bad. Now, the Braves, the Mets hammered the Braves in some games late in that year um, to help keep the momentum going, which was great to see. But the Braves weren't any good. They weren't competitive then. So the, the Mets haven't, you know, beat the Braves sort of head-to-head to, head to win a division. You know, in, 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 in 06, it was the Phillies, right? 07, the Mets collapsed down the stretch against the Phillies. 08, the Mets collapsed down the stretch against the Phillies. It wasn't the Braves. The Braves stuff goes back more to the 90s when the, they did the realignment. The Braves moved into the NL East in the late 90s in particular, 
when the Mets could never get over the hump against the Braves. And then, of course, in the playoffs in 99, when Kenny Rogers walked in the game-winning run to, to end that series after the Mets had battled back from being down 3-0 to get it to 3-2 with the, the Robin Ventura walk-off Grand Slam single. So from a fan's perspective, right, and look, the Mets, I understand they had a 10-and-a-half game lead or a 10-game lead, you know, June 1st, whatever. Who cares? I mean, it's, it's so ridiculous the way baseball gets covered now. In the old days, nobody paid attention to the standings basically until, you know, July 4th. You know, and now it's, oh, the Mets had a 10-game lead in June. Who cares? It's June. Baseball season is six months long. You know, that's like saying in, in football, oh, uh, these guys are in first place after the first six games. Who cares? Still got another 10, now 11 games left. But anyway, the lead had shrunk to half a game. Mets had gotten hot again. The Braves just se- seemingly never lost. They went on a crazy run. You know, Scherzer got hurt, right? They started the season with no DeGrom. McGill filled in for him was great. Then McGill got hurt. Then Scherzer got hurt. And the Mets still tread water. They hung in there. Old Mets teams would have collapsed, would have been it. Sayonara. Mets hung in there. Kept their heads above water. Played a little over 500 baseball after giving themselves a nice little cushion. So now here come the Braves into this, into this series. The Mets playing well, right? Beat the Yankees, took two out of three against the Nationals, who, you know, aren't any good. They're, they're really bad. But did what they had to do. DeGrom's first start back, he pitched very well. The Mets kind of, you know, the old script, didn't score any runs for him. And then, you know, Buck used two guys out of the bullpen in that game that are – back down in AAA, Nagosik and, uh, and, and Lopez, uh, who, who neither of whom had it and gave up some home runs and the Mets ended up losing that game. But Mets playing well, but here come the Braves. And what was, what was the lead at the time? The lead was, what, two and a half, three in the loss column? Well, now it's seven because the Mets took four or five. They won the first game. Buck basically announced to his team, the Braves, everybody else, when he brought Edwin Diaz in for two winning save, hey, guys, hey, we're not messing around. And Edwin Diaz, by the way, has been unbelievable. I talked about him on a podcast five years ago when he was on the Mariners about how he was you know, an unknown superstar and was having a ridiculous all-time great season as a closer, but nobody knew it because he played for Seattle. And then he came to the Mets, and his first year was a disaster. He gave up a ton of home runs. Every mistake he made, it seemed like, got hit out of the park. He got a little bit better, a little bit better, and then now this year he's been phenomenal. Yeah, they lost that set, the second game Friday night. Then they came back, swept the doubleheader on Saturday. Again, you know, getting contributions from everybody, right? When you have one of these magical type seasons, these one, you know, these really good seasons, and Mets are 31 games over 500 now. You gotta get, you gotta get contributions from everybody, and and not just 25, 26 guys, probably 30 guys. And I mean, you go back to that game against the Dodgers on a Sunday when Adonis Medina got the save in extra innings because Diaz had already been used and they had nobody else. You know, David Peterson, who's been up and down on the, uh, the Syracuse Express, right, back and forth between AAA and the majors. Every time he's pitched in the majors as a starter, he's done well. Buck tried to use him as a, as a late-inning bullpen guy in that Yankee game, which was Ill, ill-suited, that he seems ill-suited for, but that's okay. Bucks, Bucks allowed a couple of missteps here and there. Um, pitched great. I thought Buck actually took him out too early, considering it was a doubleheader. Uh, took him out after 80 pitches and five and a third innings, but five and a third shutout. He grinded. And then Scherzer, second game in the doubleheader where you knew you needed at least seven innings from him, gave you seven innings. Shutout baseball. Tremendous. And then Jake was sublime on Sunday. First five innings, perfect ball, 10 strikeouts. Five innings of perfect baseball, 10 strikeouts. Got the first two batters in the sixth. 
Walked a guy, gave up a home run. They took him out. He was on a pitch count. He was only going to pitch, uh, I think, 75 pitches. I think he was 76. But he was tremendous. But the big difference in this series, aside from the fact that the Mets, again, roll out a starter at you every night that's good, and two guys that are great in Scherzer and DeGrom. Um, but the Mets stars stepped up. Alonzo had a great series. Lindor had a great series. Nimmo had a great series. Talked about DeGrom. Talked about Scherzer. Diaz was tremendous. He, he closed it out on Sunday. Had to pitch Saturday in a game. The Mets had a big lead, 8-2 going in the ninth. Uh, Buck brought in Yoan Lopez. Didn't have it. Got, the game got to like 8-5. to five, So he had to bring Diaz in. He only threw seven pitches, but still, you know, had to pitch that game in a game you would have preferred that he not pitch. But Diaz was tremendous in this series. Three saves. And then, you know, some of the unsung heroes. Talked about David Peterson. Vogelbach, who the Mets got before the deadline. The, uh, the portly left-handed DH. I, I call him Engelbert. It looks like Engelbert, from the catcher from the Bad News Bears, uh, who's become, quickly become a folk hero amongst the Mets fans because big guys always are. You know, big hefty dudes... You know, the name Vogelbach, I call him Vogelbachman Turner Overdrive, is taking care of business. Um, he's, uh, and, and by the way, he had 30 home runs not that long ago, one year, uh, for the Brewers. I mean, the guy, the, guy, the guy's a good hitter. He's not just a big slugger. Guy walks a lot, sees a lot of pitches per at-bat. He's got power, but he's more of a hitter who hits home runs. He's not just a big all-or-nothing slugger. And then Joely Rodriguez was tremendous on Sunday. Guy that, the, you know, trade that puzzled most Mets fans in spring training. The Mets traded Miguel Castro, big, tall, lanky, right-handed power reliever, who they gotten from the Orioles, who, you know, has got great stuff, but command is always an issue, and he could walk the world. Um, for this guy, Joely Rodriguez from the Yankees. So first of all, you know, most of the time, Yankees and Mets still make trades. But, you know, with Billy Epler obviously having come from the, you know, he was with the Angels most recently, but started his career out with the Yankees. So he knows Cashman well. Um, probably had, you know, some, some insights into Rodriguez. But, uh, you know, who's a lefty. Mets, you know, wanted another lefty in the bullpen. Rodriguez, for the most part, has not been very good this year. The stuff at times looks pretty good. But another one, you know, doesn't throw enough strikes. And then when he gets behind in the count, it's not like he's got, you know, 99 where he can just blow the ball past guys but he came in for two and a third on Sunday again when the bullpen was taxed from the previous three games of shutout baseball and pitched his best game of the year I mean that's the kind of stuff that leads to special seasons so with the off day for the Braves yesterday and the Mets beating the, the Reds the Mets now have a seven game lead you know, the sky was falling, you know, all the local tabloids, the Post, the Daily News, you know, all the talk radio, oh, the Braves have cut it to half a game. I mean, if anybody thought the Braves were going away, you're not paying attention. The team's got a ton of talent. I mean, Austin Riley, Okunia Jr., I know Albies is hurt, but Albies, Dansby Swanson, the catcher, Contreras' little brother, not to mention some really good pitchers like Max Freed. Charlie Morton has not been great this year. And the Braves bullpen, they've got some big pieces. Kenley Jansen, I, I mean, look, he's been a high wire act for seven years now, eight years. I, I mean, you know, listen, he's, he's gotten a lot of big saves in his career for the Dodgers, no question. But uh, I, he's not elite level anymore as far as I'm concerned. But still a good team. So look, season's not even close to over. Still got almost two months left in the season, right? What are the Mets? Let's see. They are, what, 70, 71 and 39 or something like that? Let's see. At some point, I had them. If they, they had played 100 and two games so they had 60 games left if they were if they all they needed to do was go 30 and 30 for the last 60 they were going to win 95 so let's take a look here 
And uh, let's look at the Metsies here. Let's take a look. All right, they are 71 and 39. So, so pardon me, they are 32 games over 500. Uh, so 71 and 39, that gives me a number of 71 and 30s, won 110 games, right? They played 71 and 39 is 110, yes. So the Mets have 52 games left. So if they go 26 and 26, play 500 baseball, they're going to win 97 games. Is that going to get it done to win the division? I mean, you know, look, you, you don't ever want to get ahead of yourself, but they play 500 baseball for the last 52 games here, right? And they have a seven-game lead. I mean, the Braves are going to have to continue this toward pace, which is, you know, they, they well, it was a toward pace until the Mets just took four out of five from them. It's the first time, by the way, all year the Braves lost three games in a row was when they lost the doubleheader and then the Sunday game. So they're, you know, they're formidable. But unless the Mets experience some rash of injuries here in the last, you know, month and three quarters of the season, which could always happen. You never know. The Mets are an old team. They do have a lot of veterans, and that's always the risk there in a long baseball season, which is why Buck has also been brilliant this year because he, is, he has rested guys all the time. I mean, Buck, from the very beginning of the season, made a concerted effort to make sure all the bench guys were part of this team and played, much to the fans, myself included, consternation. But I think Buck kind of knows what he's doing a little bit. I think he maybe gets the benefit of the doubt. I mean, you know, he was playing Luis Guillorme early in the season. It was driving me crazy. And meanwhile, Guillorme's had a, a, an unbelievable year. He's a great fielder at all three infield positions, shortstop, third base, and second base. And then he's been great with the bat, shockingly. He's really hit. I mean, he's never going to hit for power, but he gets on base. He slaps doubles. He makes contact. He's a pesky hitter. He's been great. I was 100% wrong about him, and I'm happy to admit so. Um, you know, he was playing even Jankowski early in the year. Now, Jankowski has been jettisoned in favor of Tyler Naquin, who was a better player. Uh, they also picked up Darren Ruff uh, to be the right-handed DH, guy who's got postseason experience, got a little bit of the clutch gene most recently with the Giants. That was a savvy pickup. And then Michael Givens from the bullpen. Buck knows him from his days in Baltimore. Um, was having a good year with the Cubs. Numbers were good. His first appearance with the Mets was bad. He gave up, I think, four or five runs um, in a game that they were already, you know. It was, it was late in the game. They probably weren't going to win the game anyway. So it wasn't like it was a disaster where, you know, he came in, Mets had a three-run lead, and he, he blew up, and the Mets had a crushing loss. They were already losing the game. Um, he's looked okay in his couple of outings since then. Um, I guess the only criticism you'd have of Epler and the front office is they didn't get a more established lefty reliever. Now, you know, look, who knows what other teams are asking for. The Mets have some really, really exciting minor league players who are on the cusp of the major leagues, number one being Francisco Alvarez, the catcher. They just promoted Brett Beatty, their third base prospect, to AAA after he was killing it at AA and 19 home runs and 60 RBIs and an OPS over 900 uh, at, at, at AA. And so now he's at AAA. Ronnie Mauricio, the very toolsy young shortstop who's at AA, has 21 home runs. Um, definitely needs some seasoning. Mark Vientos. Sort of a third base, first base, DH type, having a very good year at AAA. Um, and then they've got this kid, Alex Ramirez, who just got promoted to Brooklyn, which is now high A, um, who's had a very good year between St. Lucie and, and Brooklyn. Um, so that's, that's five guys, position players, that are all, you know, I mean, Ramirez is the furthest away for sure. But, you know, Beatty is not far away. Alvarez will likely be the Mets starting catcher at some point next year. Barring injury. Beatty, probably not. He's probably another year away, but you never know. You'll see how he does the rest of his season in AAA and see what happens next year. 
I mean, Escobar did get signed to a two-year contract, but I mean, that's the other thing that I love about Buck and this team, right? Contracts mean nothing. I mean, Escobar has sat a lot. He's a switch hitter. He hits better from the right side. You know, listen, Guillaume's outplayed him in a lot of ways. Guillaume's, Escobar is a, is, is a good third baseman. Guillaume's gold glove caliber. And, and he's hit better. He's a lefty hitter. He's hit better than Escobar. I mean, Escobar has more power. But, again, Guillaume gets on base. And so Buck has had no qualms sitting Escobar. Other Mets regimes, oh, no, what do you mean? He was our big free agent acquisition. We can't bench him. We can't sit him for two or three games a week. No, 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 no. This, this regime and Buck, oh, they, they, they focused on one thing, winning. That's it. And give Steve Cohen, the owner, credit for that, too. Again, we all knew things were different when they told Cano to go pound sand and we'll pay you $20 million, go away. And the Padres picked him up, and he stunk for them. And then the Braves picked him up. And, of course, because we have such scar tissue as Mets fans, we thought, oh, somehow he'll be. No, he's, he, the Braves got rid of him, too. He's, he's done. So, I mean, if you're a Mets fan, you can't ask for more. You really can't. It's been a great year. The Braves come to town for five games. They take four out of five. All right. We'll take a short break. We'll be back right after this. All right, we're back here on another edition of Jamal About Sports. Now let's take a little look around the major leagues here. Just talked about the Mets season, their great season to date. So the Yankees, and, oh, wow, look, the Yankees and the Mets have the same record now. The Yankees are 71-39. and 39. Needed that win last night in Seattle. They had a rough weekend over the weekend against the Cardinals, got swept. Frankie Montas, pitcher from Oakland, whom they picked up at the trade deadline, was awful. The Yankees gave him a 4-1 lead early on Sunday. He got battered and bruised. The Yankees' bullpen was bad. Um, bit of bad news for the Yankees coming out of that game last night. Matt Carpenter, former very good player for the Cardinals, then fell off a cliff, then was with the Rangers in their AAA team got released, I believe, at his own request. The Yankees picked him up. He's had a tremendous year for the Yankees. Broke his foot in that game last night. And he's been a real important piece for them, so that bears some watching. Um, I mean, obviously, Judge has had a tremendous year. You know, Stanton, when he plays, has been good. Um, you know, the Yankees are they're, they're a bit of a weird team. You know, starting pitching, you know, I mean, Tyone was great last night, but he'd been bad for a while. You know, Garrett Cole, for $330 million, I mean, look, he's far too many, you know, oh, that I had that one bad inning, you know, yeah, but games. Well, dude, you're supposed to be, you know, Scherzer DeGrom level. And, you know, giving up four home runs in the first inning, and then, okay, you grinded and you gave the Yankees six innings, four or five runs. That's, I mean, too many of those games. I think for Yankees fans' tastes. I know for certainly for AG's taste and Justin's taste. By the way, happy birthday, Justin. Um, so let's go around. So the Yankees, 71-39, look, they're not going to – they're, 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 they're going to win the division. They're going to win the division. They have a ten-and-a-half game lead, ten in the loss column. Blue Jays, every time you want to get on the Blue Jays bandwagon and think they're starting to get hot and they're going to go on one of these really long runs, they, they, they just they don't show up. I mean, they're 60-49. and 49. We'll get to the wild card standings in a second. They're, they're well positioned to be a wild card team. But there's just something off about that team. There's something missing there. The Rays are 58-50. and 50. The Orioles, give them a lot of credit. Nobody expected much out of them. They're 57 and 52, firmly in the thick of the wild card race in the American League. And the Red Sox are 54 and 56. They've, they've had just a nightmarish season and did some strange things at the trade deadline. I mean, they released Jackie Bradley Jr. I, I get it. The guy just can't hit anymore. I mean, he was never a great hitter to begin with, but at least he hit 220 with some, some home runs, which, you know, you could just, his defense was so good, but. Uh, in center field, but now, I mean, he, he doesn't even give you that offensively. He's gone. They, they traded for Eric Hosmer, but they traded Christian Vasquez, their fine catcher, away. And I, I, don't, I don't know what the Red Sox are doing. They kept J.D. Martinez. Uh, it's just very strange. In uh, the AL Central, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the definition of mediocrity, it's like the old NFC Central in football. 
You got the Twins at 57 and 51. The Guardians, like still so weird. The, the Cleveland baseball team is 56 and 52. And the White Sox are 55 and 53, just two games back of the Twins. And then the Royals and Tigers aren't even trying. They're both 20 plus games under 500. And then you got the Astros at 70 and 40. Well in command in the West. The Mariners are 59 and 52. So, you know, they're in the thick of it for the wild card. And then the rest of that division is awful also. Rangers stink 48 and 60. Angels somehow with two of the best players in the whole sport. Maybe two of the top five players in the whole sport. 47 and 63. Which, again, underscores the point that, you know, yes, it's nice to have stars, but you need a complete team in sports like football and baseball. And the A's are 41 and 69. National League East, we've got the Metsies, 71 and 39. Uh, seven game lead over the Braves, who are 64 and 46. The Phillies, by the way, have played really good baseball. They're 9 and 1 in their last 10. They've won five games in a row. I think they're 20 over since they fired Girardi. And, and you know, look, give the Mets credit. The Mets have, have, have held them at bay. Now, the Mets play them this weekend, so that, that'll be interesting to see. They're 16-48, so they're right in the thick of it for the wild card. And the Marlins, after kind of being competitive for a while, the Mets actually put a little beat down on them, finally. Uh, they're 10 under now, and the Nationals are just a complete and utter mess. You know, obviously, they traded Juan Soto, one of the dumbest things you could ever do. I mean, 23 years old, under control for two more years after this year. I don't give a crap about how great these supposed Padres prospects are. The, 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 the odds and the history tells you of the four, and I have to hire Tim Kirchin on ESPN. So guys, I'm telling you, all four. No, not all four. If you pay attention, Tim Kirchin, which you should because you cover baseball for a living, the odds of all four of those guys being above average major league players are extremely low. Nationals would be lucky if one of those guys is an all-star. Ridiculous. Beyond idiotic. I, I, I Honestly, I don't understand how Major League Baseball doesn't step in and nix this trade. It, it, this is, talk about, this is like criminal negligence almost. How do you run a team and you trade one of the top five players in the sport who's, I understand he turned down a $400 million contract extension. Who cares? Cross that bridge when you come to it. You had him under control for another two years. Indefensible. Good for the Mets. Nationals are going to stink for a long time. And I'll centrally get the Cardinals at 60 and 48. Doing the Cardinals. Doing what the Cardinals do. Here they go. Here they go. They sort of mucked around for most of the season. Now they're kicking it into gear down the home stretch. It's 9-1 in their last 10. 1-7 in a row. Just swept the Yankees. And this is what the Cardinals do. They do this. It's, it's so annoying. <laughs> and there they are at 60-48. and 48. Leading the Brewers by two games who are 58-50. and 50. The rest of that division is a complete fire dumpster. Or dumpster fire. Cubs 44 and 64, Reds 44 and 64, Pirates 44 and 65. Three, three teams, 20 games under 500 or worse. And then you go out to the AL West, you got the Dodgers, class of the, 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 the NL, sorry, not the AL West, the NL West. It's 75 and 33. Padres, you know, their big splashy deadline moves. They, they, by the way, they've lost five games in a row. They won the first game, Soto got there. Brandon Drury in the blockheads hit a grand slam. Former Yankee, former Met, former Blue Jay, who's just on the Reds. Um, but they've lost five in a row, so they're 10 games under 500. And they, they gave you the Kevin Bacon at the end of Animal House, remain calm all as well. We just got swept by the Dodgers. Oh, no big deal. No big deal. Oh, really? Yeah, no big deal? Okay, that's good. So you guys have just announced that you, you, you're not as good as the Dodgers and you're fine just being a wild card team. Okay, good for you. But you made all these splashy moves, and A.J. Preller, GM, is so aggressive, man. And the Giants are having, you know, a, a year that they probably should have had last year with that roster that way overachieved last year. But they're 54 and 55, and the rest of that division stinks. Diamondbacks 10 under, and the Rockies 15 games under. So, I mean, the closest division race right now is the AL Central. And then the second one is the NL Central. And then you've got the Mets up seven games. 
We've got the Yankees up 10 and a half. We've got the Astros up 11 and a half. We've got the Dodgers up 16. So, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of debate about whether or not, you know, the expanded playoffs, the wild card is good or bad thing. It's a good thing for this year because, I mean, look at in the AL, you've got the Blue Jays in the number one spot for the, wild, for the first wild card. You've got Tampa in the number two spot. You've got the Mariners in the number three. But now the Orioles are tied with the Mariners in the loss column. You've got the Indians still in it. Sorry, the Guardians, the Cleveland baseball team still in it. You've got the White Sox still in it. I mean, the Red Sox are sort of theoretically still in it at four and a half back. I mean, look, nothing with the way the Red Sox have played lately indicates that they're going to make a move and they didn't do anything at the deadline. I mean, the, in 2015, when the Mets were muddling around 500, I mean, they went out and they first got Kelly Johnson and, and Juan Uribe, and then they got Cespedes. And they called up Michael Conforto. So they added four significant bats to that lineup. You know, the Red Sox, well, they, they got Eric Hosmer. Big deal. Um, and they can't pitch. They have no pitching. Everybody's hurt. So, I mean, really, and but the White Sox are still alive for the division, as are the Cleveland baseball team. But, I mean, that's one, two, three, four, five, six teams realistically still alive for three postseason wildcard spots. I mean, that's, that's, that's good for the sport. It is. I, I don't like a lot of the things Rob Manfred, the commissioner, does. I, that, that's a, this, I think, is good. And then in the National League, you've got the Braves, the Phillies, the Padres. And then the Brewers are just behind the Padres, one in the loss column. So far fewer in the National League. The Giants, technically, but not really. So, you know, but the Braves obviously still alive for the, the division. Padres, 16 back. Highly unlikely. They're done. They're not, they're not t- overtaking the Dodgers. Dodgers are too good. Uh, the Brewers still alive in the division. So, I mean, that's, you know, Braves, Phillies, Padres. And this year, you know, the division winner, there's even more incentive to get a first-round buy. So, there, there, there's, at least there's excitement. I mean, again, seven weeks to go here and you've got in the American League one two three four five six teams battling for three spots and the National League you've got one two three four battling for three but also with some division implications because the Brewers are still alive for the division as are the Braves all right finally I'm going to wrap it up on this so, by the way, what sort of alternate parallel universe where the Mets are a incredibly professional, competent, successful team without a lot of nonsense and drama, and now the Lions are like the darlings of the offseason because everybody loves Dan Campbell, and now they're going to be on hard knocks and, I mean, the optimism for this team, for a team that won three games last year, now, granted, they played much better down the stretch, but for a team that was 3-13-1, the optimism is through the roof. Now, I'm going to admit, I'm a little bit on this bandwagon here. Lions have the makings of a very competitive team. Now, I don't know if they've got enough experience I still don't know if the coaching staff has enough experience when, because I, I suspect the Lions are going to be in a lot of close games late. They're going to be able to get over the hump and, and close these games out, either protect the lead or come back and, you know, give you a big drive and kick a field goal and win a game late. But as far as hard knocks, we'll start with hard knocks. So here's, here's who I think is going to get covered the most. Campbell's going to get covered the most for sure. There's no, there's no doubt. Dan Campbell's a walking quote. He's incredibly forthcoming, more so than any other coach in the NFL. As you know, as we've always joked about, I mean, these NFL coaches keep things as if they're state secrets. I mean, Campbell just yesterday basically said that Austin Siebert's in the lead to be the team's leading, uh, to be the team's starting place kicker. Most coaches would never say that, especially this early. 
right? Most coaches would just, you know, play right down the middle. Well, both guys have done some good stuff. Both got, you know, uh, whatever. No, he's basically like, yeah, no, Siebert, Siebert's been a little bit better. Riley Patterson's been good. Siebert's been better. I love it. Because anybody who's been watching, paying attention to training camp knows that that's the truth. So, again, outlaw Josie Wales, John Vernon, don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining. When I know what's going on. So Campbell's going to be the star of this hard knocks. Aaron Glenn is going to get a lot of pub. Aubrey Pleasant, the D-backs coach, is going to get a lot of pub, I suspect. And then probably the O-line coach, Hank Fraley. I'm just guessing. Former player, lines O-line, has the potential to be one of the top five O-lines in the whole league. And then as far as players go, Jamal Williams is going to get a ton. He's probably the, the, the loudest, most boisterous player on a team. Guys love him. Running back, backup running back. Obviously, Goff will get covered a bunch because he's the quarterback. Amon Ross St. Brown, the guy, the stud receiver from USC who had a monster rookie year. Suspect he'll get a lot of publicity. And then I think on defense, obviously Aiden Hutchinson will get covered a lot. And then I think, you know, how Hard Knocks always likes to kind of focus in on like a late round pick or an undrafted free agent. It's going to be Malcolm Rodriguez, the inside linebacker from Oklahoma State, six round pick. He's had a phenomenal camp so far. He was probably underdrafted because of his size. But he's a really good player. And I bet you that he gets covered a lot. As far as the lines go, overall, so mention the offensive line. Starts there on offense. And the Lions have the potential to have a great offensive line. Taylor Decker, very good starting left tackle. Elite level, not quite, just a tick below. Left guard, Jonah Jackson, had a very good year last year. They get Frank Ragnall back, one of the better centers in the league. He missed most of the season last year. They've got Highville of Patai, the massive right guard that they signed as a right tackle. He was a disaster at right tackle. They kicked him inside to right guard when they drafted Penai Sewell. And he played very well at right guard last year. And then, of course, you got Penai Sewell, right tackle, who eventually will be a stud left tackle in this league. But for now, he's just a stud right tackle and is tremendous and is only 21 years old. So that offensive line has the potential to be really good. I mean, they played pretty well last year, and they, they were missing, you know, they missed, a, they, they missed Decker for a while, and Sewell played left tackle and didn't miss a beat. And then Ragnow got hurt, and Ever Brown filled him at center, and he was fine. So if that line can stay healthy for the majority of the season, they're going to be a problem for a lot of teams. Uh, DJ Chark, the big, tall, fast receiver from LSU, they signed has had a monster camp so far. Uh, we talked about Amon Ross St. Brown. TJ Hawkinson's good, not great, despite the, the Kool-Aid drinking Lions media and the Kool-Aid drinking Lions fans. TJ Hawkinson's not an elite level tight end. I don't care what his numbers say, how many catches he has. He's not. He's not special, but he's good. He's good. He's not great. He's good. Now, he may have a big year this year because there's more talent around him. You know, it's going to be a bit of a pick your poison. I mean, if James, assuming Jamison Williams is back, say, midway through the year, the rookie receiver out of Alabama, you're going to have him, Chark, Amon Ross St. Brown, Josh Reynolds, Hawkinson, Swift out of the backfield. I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot of firepower. It really is. It's a lot of weapons for Jair Goff. So it's all really going to come down to, is Jared Goff going to be the Jared Goff that played well enough for the Rams to make the Super Bowl four years ago? Or are we going to get the Jared Goff since then? It's not been very good. Now, he finished the year strong last year. Ben Johnson took over as offensive coordinator, took over the play calling duties. We know all about it. He's got a full off season. He's going to be the guy this year. Took over for Anthony Lane. It wasn't a good match. We'll see. Lions offense has a chance, has a chance to be very good. Defense, big question mark. Now, the main thing that I like that they're doing is they're switching the scheme to much more of a 4-3. I don't know what they were doing last year with that 3-4. Made no sense. Aaron Glenn came from New Orleans, which ran mostly a base 4-3. I didn't understand why the Lions went to a 3-4 last year. Did not fit their personnel. Romeo Okwara is not an outside linebacker. Trey Flowers, who's gone now, thankfully, not an outside linebacker. These guys are too tall and lanky. They can't play in space. 
They're edge, they are defensive ends in a 4-3. So you're going to see much more 4-3 looks out of the lines this year. Will Aiden Hutchinson have an impact early? Will Aleem McNeil continue to, to, to progress and improve the way the Lions think he can? A massive defensive tackle who moves you know, extremely well for a man of his size. Can Romeo Aquara come back from the Achilles and be an effective pass rusher like the guy who had 10 and a half sacks two years ago? Can his younger brother Julian continue to progress? Will Austin Bryan make the team and continue to progress? Will Charles Harris, who had you know, uh, the best season of his career after being a former first-round pick bust of the Dolphins, continue to, to, to down, you know, continue to produce at that level like he did last year? Pass rush, pass rush, pass rush. Well, the Lions have one. And then the next is, I mean, there's question marks all over that defense, right? D-line should be better, right? Hutchinson and the scheme should make them better. And then the linebackers, huge question marks. Will Derek Barnes make the jump from rookie year to second year? Is Alex Sanzaloni really a starting linebacker on a good defense? How much of a role will Malcolm Rodriguez have? And then in the secondary questions abound there as well. You know, uh, Amani Moriori had a big year last year with six interceptions. Was that a fluke? Is he making the jump to elite-ish top corner status? Can Jeff Okuda come back from his Achilles injury and, and be effective? Um, you know, does Mike Hughes still have something in the tank? Is Jerry Jacobs going to make it back from his injury? He was playing great last year. A.J. Parker, was it, you know, a bit of rookie luck, or is he the real deal as a, as a slot corner? And then at the safety position, Tracy Walker's back. He's a good player. He's not great. Doesn't make enough impact plays for my taste. And then Deshaun Elliott is the safety they signed from the, the Ravens. Is good when he's healthy. He just hasn't been, been able to be healthy. So a ton of questions on that defense. I suspect the defense is not going to be great. But can they get stops when they need to, and can they create turnovers? All right, that is going to do it for this week's episode of Jamal About Sports. As always, thanks for listening. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, peace out.